I greet you all in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It is said, many are called and few are chosen. This morning, I think many are cold and some are frozen. <laughs> it's quite a different experience for me to have come all the way from India. But interestingly, the last few days in my daily devotions, the Lord has been ministering to me from the book of Psalms, the last few chapters. And almost in every chapter, there's a mention of the word snow. So the sovereign Lord is at work, and it's amazing to be his children as part of his grand story. Church, God is at work since time immemorial, much before you and I were born. And God's work continues long after we have finished our purposes on this earth. As part of the Ravi Zacharias Ministries, we get invitations to speak in many secular forums. I work predominantly in India. One of the lines I often tell young people is this, you are not your own idea. You didn't cause yourself into existence. You are not even your parents' idea. They only knew you after you arrived. Then they gave you a name, they loved you, took care of you. So only God is big enough or qualified to talk to us about the purpose of our lives. And it is a beautiful thing that God has a purpose in each of our lives. So keep your Bibles open to the book of Psalms, Psalm 90, as was so wonderfully read by Brother Kent this morning. This is the only Psalm of the 150 Psalms that are there, which is written by Moses. Here is Moses saying, Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Mountains are a symbol of stability and strength. And when we see the mountains, we envision them to have been there forever. We get the feeling of that's ancient, it's been there forever. So here is Moses recognizing God's hand in his life, as he says, before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. When you look at the life of Moses, you could actually call him a man of the mountains. Because ever since he ran away from Pharaoh, he goes to his land Midian, where he's taking care of his father-in-law's sheep on the other side of the mountain. He stayed there for about 40 years until he encountered a burning bush. And then later, he's leading the Israelites through the wilderness, again in the mountains. So Moses is a man of the mountains. And he had those special days, 40 days, when he had personal interactions with God as God gave him the Ten Commandments to be passed on to the Israelites. So mountains is a familiar terrain for this man, Moses. Even today, if you were to go to the land of Jordan, there is the Moses Mountain, which is a top tourist attraction. But church, here is my point. As much as Moses was familiar with that terrain, he perhaps would have found comfort. He knows the difficult parts and the challenging areas in the mountains. He spent a lot of his time there. But yet we find in these verses in Psalm 90, verse 1 and 2, he is 
moving beyond the mountains to see God as a source of refuge. And that is fascinating. In our own life's journey, we need to move beyond those special locations, cherished, cherished spots, as it were, to the God who created us for his own purposes. In our own lives, maybe it is the school where you studied many years ago, or maybe the village that you grew up in, or it is the office space where you've served for a few decades, or perhaps this church. We all have those special places, don't we? Yes, Moses also had a special place, but still he's moving beyond geography to God himself. Because follow his words, he says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place. Not the mountains. You, Lord, is almost making God like a place. God where to transcend the geography. You are a security, Lord, more than even the mountains. In other words, Moses is moving from the impersonal to the personal. The God that you and I worship, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, gives us that provision, that security, is more than the mountains, is more than those special locations or those comfort zones in our lives. And we need to be able to transcend and not fix our eyes merely on those locations alone. So Moses says, Yahweh, you are my dwelling place. I think that is fascinating. 20 years ago, on the 23rd of January, Graham Staines, an Australian missionary, and his two boys were brutally torched to death in a station wagon in a village in India. There is a movie about his life titled The Least of These that is going to be released in a couple of weeks from now. It's produced by a friend who is also a board member with the Ravi Zacharias Ministries in the United States. Now Gladys Staines, Graham's wife, she wrote an article for us in a magazine in India in which she mentions this. As a teenager, she attended a Christian camp where she was asking God about his plan in her life. So here she goes, Lord, where would you like me to be? Which overseas country should I serve you in? And she says, God spoke to her very clearly and directly as he told her, Gladys, the important thing is not about whether you are in China or India. The important thing is to be in the center of my will. And so she committed her life to the Lord. Eventually, the Lord led her to India, where she and her husband and her family came and served there until the tragic uh, situation that happened in their own lives. So we need to learn to transcend locations and places and situations, if I may use that word, to discover the God of purpose and his plans in our lives. Amy Carmichael, another beautiful story, born to Irish missionary parents, as a little girl, her mother taught her, Amy, if you ever have a need, go to the Lord Jesus in prayer. Amy took her mother's word seriously. Every night she would kneel down and pray. Her request was the same. Lord, please give me blue eyes. Because all her friends had blue eyes, while Amy had brown eyes. She kept praying, and guess what she did first thing in the morning? 
go and look into the mirror, same old brown eyes. But it took many years in her life before she realized God's plan for her. Because she was called to go to the land of India, the southern part, and she served there. And what was the nature of her work? She would rescue children caught in temple prostitution. So her role was in the middle of the night. She would have herself fully draped in a sari, the only part of her body visible to the outside world where her eyes, as she goes out looking for children and rescuing them and bringing them to her home. So anybody who saw her saw brown eyes. God has a plan in our lives. Places and situations are not absolute. We feel that way, don't we? We think we have settled down. Or we think, oh, these situations I can handle. It's familiar terrain for me. But please remember, places, places and situations are not absolute. Only God is. So I love the way Moses captures in these verses. Beyond the geography. And after all his journeys in the wilderness. To be focused on Yahweh himself. Not only is talking about place. He's talking a lot about time in this passage. He talks about, he says, you are God from everlasting to everlasting, even beyond the mountains, Lord. I like that verse in Deuteronomy. Underneath are God's everlasting arms. Everlasting arms. Again, space and time seems to merge. God's everlasting arms are underneath and protects us and guards us. We come back to Psalm 90. He says, you turn people back to dust. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by. You sweep people away in, the, in their sleep, in the, the deep of death. They are like new grass of the morning. In the morning it springs up new, but by evening it's dry and withered. Few lines later, all our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. Our days may come to a 70 years or 80 if our strength endures. Yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow. He's still talking about time again. He says, Lord, please teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. How important. And then he says, satisfy us, Lord, in the morning with your unfailing love. So here is Moses talking about God and he also beautifully transcends time. In the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 3, we have Solomon penning these words. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the sun. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace, a time to refrain from embracing. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a, a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. When you read this poetic writing, we can't miss a sense of monotony or even a sense of 
predictability that emerges. Uh, good days, bad days, seasons, winter, and then spring and summer. It seems so predictable. But if time is an absolute, if time is an absolute, you and I are at the mercy of the clock. But thankfully, time is not an absolute. God is. Modern science very interestingly today says time had a beginning. Yes, you heard me right. There was a time when there was no time. 1500 years ago, St. Augustine grappled with this issue. He asked himself the question, what was God doing before he created this world? And then he came to the conclusion that God created time itself. Exactly what modern physics today tells us. That time came into existence. So we live in a space-time universe. That's where we find ourselves. And thankfully, time is not absolute. God is. And God transcends time and helps us also transcend time and situations. When we look at Moses' life, we do see a pattern. Forty years in Pharaoh's palace as a prince of Egypt. Forty years with his father-in-law and his family in Midian. Forty years in the wilderness leading the Israelites to the promised land. The number 40. In fact, it was 40 days that he spent with God alone in the mountains. There's something about these numbers that seem interesting. But we need to learn to move beyond the patterns to the person. In the Christian faith, God is the ultimate. The impersonal is not. In pantheistic Hinduism, for example, the ultimate is an impersonal absolute. It's a basic difference from Christian theology. Because for us, God is a person and that is the ultimate. So Solomon, in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, he then writes, God has put eternity into the hearts of human beings. Yet we cannot fathom the beginning from the end. That God holds the right. Just like an author of a book, God knows us. He knows our past, he knows our present, he knows our future, and he is in control. Nothing surprises God. He doesn't have to wait to follow the news. You and I living in a space-time universe, we have an yesterday, today, and a tomorrow. But he is the author of the whole story. So he transcends. He knows the end from the beginning. And because he's a good God, because he's a loving God, we are safe. We are protected. We are not at the mercy of what time or situations can do to us because God comes across as our refuge. In my family, I have uh, two brothers and a sister. All of us are married a little late in life. My sister was the first one get, to get married. Uh, she was 35 when she married. So eventually when she found a life partner, her prince charming, we were also delighted for her. In fact, she literally met her prince charming because my brother-in-law's name is Prince. <laughs> so when he came by, we were so happy for her, the first wedding at our home. And in India, we, and we have a wedding invitation card. We put a Bible verse there. So the verse that came to all of our minds was this. In his time, he makes all things beautiful. That was the verse that was there. 
unanimous choice. I remember the wedding reception. My father stood up to give the vote of thanks, and he had his own script. He came up with that same verse again, because that seemed to really connect with our moment of joy and celebration. I remember a few weeks after that, my new brother-in-law and my sister came home, and we went to the graveyard to my mother's grave. We said a prayer, and as we were walking out of the graveyard, in the corner of my eye, something stood out from another gravestone. I turned to look and guess what I saw there. These words etched in another gravestone. In his time, he makes all things beautiful. It is only within the Christian offer, be it a celebratory moment as a wedding or at a funeral service or bereavement of a loved one, you could actually say the same verse in his time, he makes all things beautiful. God is not just the God of life, he's a God of life and death and life after death. I was speaking at Megal University along with my members of my team last week. And one of the comments I made there was this. I said in Christian worldview, the climax of life happens after death. In the world, we see it differently, don't we? We talk about maybe 30s or 40s or 50s as prime time of lives. And then as we grow older, we retire. But biblically speaking, the climax is after the grave. So we are in a sense in a journey. These are all inns that we stop by, special locations. God shapes us, speaks to us, ministers to us and through us. But then that's home. This is not home. That's home. That's why Jesus said in John chapter 14, do not let your hearts be troubled. I go prepare a place, I come back and take you to be with me where I am. These words are attributed to D.L. Moody and more recently Billy Graham. I remember Billy Graham saying this, one day the newspapers will announce Billy Graham is no more. He says, don't believe them. They are lying to you. I will be more alive than ever before. That's the Christian promise eternal life that God gives us. So we, in that sense, literally transcend space and time as we go and reign with God in the new heavens and the new earth. So our purposes are gravely narrow. Our vision is very short-sighted. But thanks be to God who ministers to us and through us that he gives us his grand salvation story to get sense of his purposes in our lives. Coming back to Psalm 90, as Moses takes us through a history, a historical survey, he says, Lord, you turn people back to dust. Yes, human beings are finite people. And then he talks about God's wrath because of human rebellion. And then he says, Lord, have mercy. How long? Have mercy, Lord. He talks about the transience of life, like the grass that comes up new and then it fades away. We all have our special moments, but then we kind of move on. But in that context of God's wrath, transience of life, Moses then makes his prayer, Lord, satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Isn't that beautiful? 
where he sees God's meaning and purpose as we go through the everyday chores of life, the challenges, the good moments, the bad moments, the mountain high moments, the deep valley moments, that God is with us and he has his purpose in our lives. And I like the way the psalm ends. In fact, the last two verses are a good prayer to make every day in our lives. A last verse. He says, may the favor of the Lord our God rest on us. God's favor. We know, don't we, that unless the Lord builds, the builders build in vain. May God's favor rest upon us, upon the generations that come after us. And he says, establish for us the work of our hands. Yes, establish the work of our hands. That is really beautiful. Life seems transient, but there is a permanence to the choices we make in our lives. There is a finality. There is a blessing. All that we say and do, that has an eternal consequence because we're made in the image of God. Isn't that beautiful? That God can bless your work and mine as different as our vocations might be. Our roles might be in the different stations of life, yet God has a purpose. His mercy is anew every morning that we can glean from him, receive his blessing, and be a blessing to other people. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 11 and 12, God is calling Moses. Here he is settling down in his father-in-law's comfort. And God talks to him from out of the burning bush and says, I want you to go to Pharaoh's palace and let bring my people from under his custody. And Moses listens to God in verse 11, chapter 3 of Exodus. Moses said to God, Who am I, Lord, that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? A little later he says, I am slow of speech. Who am I, Lord? I can't talk. But in the book of Acts, chapter 7, and verse 22, this is Stephen's speech, where Stephen says this. He has a long description about Moses, but I'll just read one verse for us. He says, Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. But Moses is telling the Lord, I'm a stammerer. And then God sent his brother Aaron. So Moses is asking God, who am I, Lord? A question of identity. How can I do this? Here I am. I'm, I've run away from Pharaoh's place. If I go back there, they possibly will kill me. But come to think of it, if there was somebody who could do this ambassador job, it was Moses. Because he grew up in the Pharaoh's palace. And then he recognized that his parents were actually Hebrews. He understood God's call in their lives. So he was the man who understood both worlds. But then he says, who am I, Lord? Church, what I find fascinating is, God does not give Moses a motivational speech. He's not telling Moses, hey, come on, Moses, you can speak well. You know the Ramses is there or you know how the palace works and all of that stuff. God doesn't say that. God says something that is foundational as an issue of identity for every Christian. He says, I will be with you. Who am I, Lord, that I should go? I will be with you. Powerful. That is the hope that all of us have as we run our journeys. Emmanuel, God is with us. Jesus, after having given the great commission, he promised, I will be with you forever 
even to the end of the age. So church, yes, we go through the journey. There are good days, there are bad days. But may God give us the grace to see his hand in all of this. That we would find our security, our identity in God rather than in ourselves or our connections or our abilities. That we will keep that focus. In the early church, in the book of Acts, people were called Christian because they looked like Christ. Anybody in Christ is a Christian. That's why Paul repeatedly says, you are in Christ, in Christ. That's the identity. See, may God give us that grace to fulfill his purposes now and forever and make us a blessing to the people that we interact with. Let me conclude with this poem and then say a prayer for all of us. I'm not very sure who penned this down, but this is powerful as we go through challenging moments and good moments in life. My life is but a weaving between my Lord and I. I do not choose the colors. He worketh steadily. Of times he weaveth sorrow. And I, in foolish pride, God sees the upper and I the underside. And not till the loom is silent or the shuttle cease to fly would God unroll the canvas and explain the reason why the dark threads are as needful in the skillful weaver's hand as the threads of gold and silver in the pattern that he has planned. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for this station this morning. We thank you, Lord, for your mercies on you this morning. Pray, Lord, for each of us and all our loved ones. We pray, Lord, in your grace and mercy that you will give us hearts that will find the security in you, Lord. As we live in a world with so many challenges, yes, Lord, there have been good moments as well. We pray that you will give us that eternal focus, that we will forever be sensitive and conscious of your presence, your leading, and your guiding. Because the Bible says those who are led by the Spirit of the Lord are children of God. I pray this prayer for all of us, Lord, that you will make us a blessing in all our circles of influence so that people who do not know you, Lord, will find you and will find the security and hope in you. We thank you for listening to our prayers. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.